Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 185 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is Chief Architect at Headspring, author of MVC in Action Books, an international speaker, and a prolific OSS developer. He is an expert in distributed systems, REST, messaging, domain-driven design, and CQRS. So welcome to the podcast, Jimmy Bogard. Glad to be here. So, Jimmy, could you perhaps give us a little bit more around your background and, and your current role as Chief Architect at Headspring? So it all started when my mom met my dad. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I've been in Texas now for my entire life, so I'm out of Austin, Texas at the moment. Uh, I went to school here at the University of Texas, but not for anything uh, computer science related. I actually graduated with a computer engineering degree. So I knew how the little bits and bytes work together, but kind of fell into a career in IT after that. So I think I'll actually be sharing part of that story. But otherwise, I've been um, in the suffocating heat of Austin, Texas for almost 20 years now. And uh, just love it here. The barbecue, the food, and of course, the people here are great. So Jimmy, can you share with us perhaps a career tip, one that the audience don't know and perhaps should? One of the interesting things about getting an engineering degree is that kind of they hammer it into our heads that you can never really stay still in terms of your career. When you're 19 or 20, it's not probably the best thing you want to hear, but they told us that you probably have to reinvent yourself every five or 10 years. So coming into software, what that really told me is that uh, I can't just stick to one specific technology or stack. I always have to be expanding and learning because the industry is always moving. So I was really happy about hearing <laughs> that advice is, uh, make sure that you're always you know, always growing and expanding. And so what that means for me is, uh, if you ever heard of like the, the T-shaped developer, it's this idea that you have, yeah, so you have a, a broad knowledge, uh, not very deep, a lot, of, a lot of subjects, and then you go deep into one subject. And so for me, that's really what I really strive to do is that anytime I've got a new client with a new kind of technology, I go as deep as I can to become the expert. And then as over time, it becomes from a T-shaped to, to pie-shaped to then like kind of comb-shaped uh, sort of developer where anytime I'm introduced to something new that I have to deliver for a client, I try as much as possible to become the expert on the technology. Right. So in, in terms of how you approach that, obviously you've just mentioned the fact that you, you maybe had to focus on something new for a new client. Is there a particular approach you take to learning about new technology or, or new skill sets? Well, for me, it's always got to be very focused uh, because I am a consultant. I, I have to be focused on the value being delivered for the client. So whatever I'm learning, and it has to be towards that goal of having to deliver value for the client. So when I was first learning MVC technologies way back in the day, I didn't try to become an expert on the very low level things. I wasn't trying to become an expert on like HTTP or TCP because that wasn't that wouldn't provide value to the client. So it's really trying to find that sweet spot is of learning enough to be able to make very well-informed decisions on behalf of the client, but not so much where we get stuck in the weeds. So it could be a bit of a balancing act. I'd, I don't know 
another way other than pushing as far as I can go until I was like, wait, this doesn't matter. And then pulling back and say, okay, now it's, let's stay in this area. So Jimmy, can you share your worst IT career moment with us and perhaps what you learned from that experience? <laughs> sure. So I saw this question. I was like, oh, there's only one story I got to I can go to because it is, it's a doozy. Um, <laughs> right. So, I, so this was a client in which we we're building a loyalty rewards program on behalf of a brick and mortar a nationwide retail store. So it's a, kind of minor, like a, any one of those stores you go in and they, they ask you, what do you have a reward number? And you go type in your number or whatever, and you get points in exchange for points and freebies. Then they learn like all your purchasing history over time. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you give a little privacy for a little bit of reward. Anyway, so this is a very cyclical volume that we were dealing with because it was retail. And uh, I pushed up with what I thought was a very small change about two days before Black Friday which was going to be the start of their busiest season of the year. So for them, the six weeks between Black Friday and then right after New Year's, they get about 50% of their revenue for their entire year. Yeah. So I thought I put it in what, I, what, is, what was an innocuous change, but it turned out I misconfigured the dependency injection container to do something like register some component twice. And what that wound up happening is it double issued rewards for everybody <laughs> yep. for it was about 10 days and it was difficult to see because volume was already very high. Like it just, we already had a huge spike in volume. So the client, you know, actually the client pinged us and said, these numbers look high, but they're, they look a little too high. Can you check into it? And I saw that I made that one little change. All my tests passed locally, even running locally, it looked fine. It's like, it seems okay to me. But what I hadn't done is actually run a full test in a full environment to see that, yes, indeed, things were getting double issued. And I just couldn't see it from all the diagnostics I was looking at. Uh, and that was one, too, because if I'm double issuing rewards to people, you're getting an email in your inbox that says, congratulations, you just got a 10% off coupon. And then immediately afterwards, you get a second email. With a, <laughs> another one. <laughs> you Congratulations. So you got another one. So this is one that, you know, a lot of the systems I work with, it's a captive audience. So it's, 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 it's business workers, knowledge workers. And so if you screw up, you basically just apologize and that's the end of it. In this case, we had, I don't know, something like 20 million members in the, in the reward system and uh, double issuing to all those people for about 10 days. They were very happy about it. So no one complained. There wasn't a single email from a customer that said, you're accidentally double issuing things. <laughs> they were just taking it and spending it. I'm sure they didn't. Yeah. No, it was exactly. a happy days, holiday. There we go. Yeah. Was it something you were able to address in terms of the data? Oh yeah. Uh, so there was a, there was a whole thing. First, first was the, the confirmation on my side that yes, indeed, this is exactly what's happening. And then there's like that feeling in the pit of my stomach that I have to call the client, tell them that, I had introduced a bug that was double issuing this and that was going to cost them real money yeah. because people were using this and getting discounts during the highest volume. And that was one of the most difficult things I've had to do in my career. Probably the most was that phone call to tell my client that I screwed up and this was going to cost them. We did fix it though. Uh, we fixed the bug in terms of how we address the people. We had to do all sorts of things. We couldn't take these coupons away from people because they 
they're going to be even more upset. So we had to patch the bug and we had to do things like tracking to see who had not opened the email yet and then just you know silently not give them the coupon or just revoke the coupon. It was still within the terms and conditions to do so. So right. we, we did all those things like, who who's actually seen this? Like who, who really knows about it? Um, and then we'll walk back from there. Yeah. Of course, then all the back-end reports because, you know, introducing the bug, you know, there's a certain expectation of being liable for such a thing. So we had to run all these reports of exactly how many did we double issue to exactly which people and looking at redemption rates to see over time who actually redeemed these things to determine the true financial impact of this bug because this is a publicly traded company. So a mistake like this could actually make it all the way into those quarterly earnings reports if it was big enough. All because I did, <laughs> I misconfigured the the application to to double issue stuff. Yeah. So in terms of what you do differently now, do you do anything to make sure those sort of occurrences don't happen? That was really the first system that I was truly in charge of in terms of all the like any kind of production outages. That was it was really on me. I've been part of really big IT companies where we had like 16 levels of support before it ever got to me. And we would have months and months of testing before something went into production, um, which meant, you know, we never delivered anything, but nothing ever broke either. You know, can't write bugs if you don't write code sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> in this case, in terms of like operational metrics, we put in things like safeguards and triggers to say, here's our kind of expected level of issuance. And if something went outside those bounds, then we'd have notifications to say, so we just look at this right away to see what's what's going on. So looking at heuristics of here's what we did last year on this day, here's what we did this year. Because just looking at relative, you know, I was looking at relative saying, well, you know, volume is 10x from the previous month. So I uh, should expect the, the other things to be about, uh, roughly 10x. Even learning uh, how to apologize to a customer uh, I had to learn how to do that. <laughs> yes. Because your first instinct, Rick, is to say, try to soften the blow. It's not that bad. We caught it early, whatever. And if that's like the last thing. So there's a whole lot of psychological things I had to learn and conversational things to be able to have that conversation successfully uh, with the client where they didn't just fire us immediately. And they didn't. We're still their customers. And that was like, right. good. Okay, so successful outcome in the end in, in, in terms of the relationship. Yeah. Right. Okay, so moving away from your worst moment, can you perhaps tell us about your career highlight or greatest success? So I think some people that follow me might assume I would talk about my open source projects, which are fairly popular in the .NET space, but nothing I ever intentionally set out for. But things that I've intentionally set out for success are the ones that I'm really the most proud of. So one in particular was we were building a system for a local county government in the state of Texas. And this county government, this agency, really been put through the ringer because their things like their budgets have been slashed over the years and they just hadn't been able to invest in a good quality system to help their, their organization run more successfully. Um, and for them, before we got there, they were 100% paper-based organization. And so this was a prosecution department for the state of Texas. And so their, their, their case files were literally a file with papers inside of it. And they'd have this problem, a case manager problem, where literally they, could, like, they would lose a case by physically losing the case. And whenever someone physically lost the case file, the entire floor would go on lockdown where everyone would be searching through the desk and files to find this individual case. 
So they're just in a really in a bad way, and they needed something to help digitize and bring them to the, the kind of the modern era. But they tried other products off the shelf that really didn't fit their flow, and the people weren't listening to their actual real needs. So when we came in. Um, I really wanted to make sure that we were building software that really uh, was tailored to their specific needs. So it was a lot of on-site interviews and investigations to see, you know, what makes most sense for you. So when, you was, when I was walking around, I couldn't fit through some hallways because it was stacked floor to ceiling with boxes <laughs> of files. Yep. It's just so many, so many files. So we've had our, our first demo to the very broad group that says, you know, here, we're going to show you what it looks like to have case come in, you go through and uh, go through your business process, whatever it was. And then finally, here's what it looks like for you to go take your case to court. So it's like printing it out and there you go. And everyone was so happy with what they saw. They literally gave us a standing ovation. <laughs> That's I've never had that happen in my career before since that what I built or helped build so delighted them that they were like, standing and clapping. I don't know if it was like, a, I hope it wasn't stage or anything like that, but um, <laughs> just so often in my career, and I'm sure a lot of people, we don't get to see the effect of our software with the actual people using it. Uh, it's just one of those unfortunate things. We build something, we ship it, but we don't often get to see people using it. So those few chances where I do, where I actually get to see the thing I built being used by someone else and then being really happy about it, is, I don't know, it's just the, one of the greatest feelings you can have. It is, exactly, yeah. Okay, so Jimmy, can you tell us what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? Uh, sure. I mean, besides that technology just keeps going forward, that is. So we look at the IT industry 10 years ago and the 20 years ago and 30 years ago, it's just ridiculous the change that we've seen since then. And for me personally, I... I'm always excited about it, excited about the future, because I know that no matter what people I talk to, every business I talk to has something that's different and unique about them that makes their, their business special or, or different than someone else. And those are the kind of things that can't be easily commoditized. So I feel pretty confident that how I'm helping customers is never going to be kind of easily, easily packaged up and saying, well, we just, if we just go stick it in this, uh, Excel macro, then, you know, you got a fully functioning business. So for me, it's, it's, it's just knowing that the things that we can build can help enable our customers to do things that they really couldn't do before. And the thing that keeps expanding and changing are all the different options and opportunities available for uh, them that they just didn't have in the past. Yeah. Are there any particular areas of technology or advancement that you that particularly interests you anything you sort of you you gravitate towards i actually stray away from some of the more probably the more fun ones that people other people may consider interesting so things like like i, I don't care about blockchain i don't care about <laughs> things like ar and stuff like that i'm i'm most interested in the the kinds of things that help help people get their jobs done more more easily more quickly so that's things like just the proliferation of mobile that didn't exist 10 years ago um, everyone had Blackberries ten years ago. And now everyone has iPhones. So now I can I can do things like instead of you finding out days late that you may have uh, shipped a bug that caused a, a huge problem with your customers, then I can notify you um, to push that notification out. And say, you know, so wait, looking at things that that the technology actually makes people's lives easier or better 
I, this is the kind of thing that interests me the most. And I'm sure, you know, the, the other fun stuff will get around eventually, but I'm really, what can I do to make my customers' lives better today? Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? For me, it was the complete lack of jobs in the field that I graduated in. About half my graduating class here at the local University of Texas here had no job. So that was about, I don't know, several hundred of us had no job graduating (laughs) with a computer engineering degree from Texas in a city that houses Intel, AMD, Motorola at the time. So so I had to find something else to do. And uh, I was like, you know what? Everybody needs software. Um, (laughs) Let's do that. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? Uh, The best one was uh, my my mentor at the time. I was blogging internally at a company, and he told me, Jimmy, you should blog externally. You should start a blog. And that was about... Well, over 13 years ago now, and that's that's the thing that really kind of catapulted my career from just a developer to something more. Yeah. Is there something you recommend other people to do? So one of the things about blogging that I found effective, it wasn't about sharing my ideas. It was more about writing them down because when I wrote down posts on different things that it forced me to think about them, crystallize my thoughts And then even to have an opinion about something, um, whether the opinion was good or bad. So it was part just, you know, helping me to crystallize thoughts about things and just to act of writing them down did this. And then the other big piece was at the time I was reading other people's blogs and I knew how much they helped me. So if I hit something that I solved a problem, if I wrote it down publicly, then that could help somebody else later on. In fact, my number one blog post for probably seven years was how to disable the annoying computer beep. <laughs> right. Okay. So in terms of what feedback you got on that, why was it so popular? Because it's annoying. <laughs> right. And people want to know how to turn it off. Like, yeah. like this, the system beep, if you like, you know, you put your, your cursor too far and it goes, yes. Beep, and it's, yeah. you can't mute it. Like mute does nothing. <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's like, complete throwaway blog post, something that I was really annoyed about. And I was in a cube farm at the time. And people were like, why is that cube keep beeping? Yeah. <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, something you just, you kind of write it throw away, but I, it's just so many, like from just looking at the stats, all these different sources of people that also had my problem of their computer beeped annoyingly. And <laughs> I, you know, just one little thing I can help pay it forward. Yeah. That's a good example. Yeah. And what is the worst career advice you've ever received? Oh, that was from uh, when I was graduating university. Basically, a lot of us were complaining to our professors, like, we don't have jobs. What are we supposed to do? And he suggested we all go to grad school, (laughs) which would have meant a lot more debt for all of us and a lot more risk with no guarantee of anything on the other side. So like much more specialization. Uh, in a specific topic, and there's no guarantee that that specialized position would have anything available. So I'm really glad I didn't do that because I have no idea where I'd be <laughs> if I I'd take such a specialized route. If you were to begin your IT career again in today's world, what would you do? So I looked back a bit about you know what I did getting started to try to become a better developer. And graduating from university without a CS degree, I came out thinking, you know, 
with not any real practical experience developing applications. So very early on, I, I developed this kind of unhealthy hero worship where I try to find what I saw in the public as like the loudest or most public developers and then try to do what they did. But when I finally met some of these folks, and they're, you know, they're all final folks, you kind of realize like they're all just people and I shouldn't put them on a pedestal. Like some of them just got there by accident. And so just emulating what they did, what I see them doing or their, their projection of themselves it wasn't actually going to get me into a better place at the end. So if I had focused early on more on finding good mentors versus hero worship, I would have gotten better faster, I think. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? Uh, I was trying to find a non-cheesy answer for this, um, <laughs> but it was really hard. So kind of being in consulting, I'm there to, I'm there to try to help people out. I'm, I'm there where people... Uh, have a lot of experience on the business side of things, but they might have a lot of experience in, in the technology side of things. That is, they may be stuck maintaining an existing application that's 30 years old, but building a new application, they don't have a lot of experience in. But what I found is that if I just help that one team, then it doesn't have as big an impact to the rest of the organization. So what I've been trying to focus on is how do we help people further up the organizational structure so that they can make better decisions and better recommendations and better planning and even better architecture so that the lower level things down have a much greater chance of success. I've just had way too many instances where we run into things like a story straight out of that book, The Phoenix Project, which I recommend to everyone, where teams spend 18, 24 months on what everybody knows is a failed project, but someone too far up the chain doesn't have that understanding that this, this is going on. So it's being able to grow my kind of communication skills, be able to talk to that person to say, or even be able to share that knowledge to be able to recognize so that so much time, money, and sometimes careers wasted on things that just won't work. Yeah. And you pointed out that communication is key to that. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? That one was also tough because I feel like it's been all of them. Um, <laughs> because if we're looking at how we develop software for customers, it takes a lot of understanding and empathy to build the right thing for them. And it's easy for us to blame them to say, it's your fault you don't like what we built because you don't understand technology, blah, blah, blah. So I look at a lot of those communication skills as the, the really big thing that's helped me be able to, one, understand what customers need, and then also communicate back to them as well. Um, so a couple of great books out there. One, one great one I found was uh, Crucial Conversations, um, which is a book that really talks about how do you have effective conversations with people where you're not just bullying them to get your way, or you, don't, or you leave the conversation wishing that it had gone a different way. It's kind of a, a, a more structured approach to having conversations with other people to be able to get work done. And without those, those kinds of communication tools, it's just, uh, it becomes a lot more frustrating for us as developers if we don't invest in those kinds of skills. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? Well, I could say the top thing I did was find a job in which I was always challenged. I bounced around a lot early in my career 
through basically trying, you know, trying to find, I wanted to be a software developer to try to find where I wanted to fit. So I, I, my first job was with a startup. That was fun because I got to build all my own stuff, got a lot of experience. It wasn't as fun when I had to start asking to be paid in cash because the check started bouncing. That wasn't as fun. Ooh, yes. <laughs> Not so good. <laughs> Not a terrible experience if you're in your early 20s, but like, you know, now there's no way. Um, so that was, it was exciting, but I realized that in order for me to be really effective in that kind of scenario, uh, organization, I would have to have a lot more skills that there's no way I had. Like I need to be able, if it's just me and five other people, I have to be able to provide feedback on marketing and sales and, and product direction that I just didn't have. Like just as a developer, um, I wasn't going to be as effective or successful in that. But okay, uh, let's try a product. So I went from there to a product company and that was a lot of fun for about two and a half years. And then we kind of finished what we built. And then from there, it was kind of on what's the next incremental little thing we wanted to do. And so more or less got, I saw that I could stay here and keep on the same product without any new experiences or I'd have to move on to where I could say, find fun, interesting things to do. I went from there for, to Big Corp IT. Absolutely hated it. Like one of those situations where after I think the first or second day, I realized, oh my God, I've made a huge mistake. I'm, this is not a good, this is not a good fit for me. Then I spent like the next 10 or 11 months really trying to find out what I wanted to do. And then from there I went to consulting. So that's really where I stay energized is that in consulting, and I'm really lucky in this is I get to be exposed to a, just a, a ridiculous number of domains and situations and companies and, and problems that it just, you just never get bored. Yeah. So diversity Exactly. Just the diversity and experience. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? Oh, way less than I used to. Um, so now I've got, uh, now I've got two kids age three and, and five. Uh, so used to, I do things like go hiking or play Skyrim for hours on end or Witcher three after that. But now, um, I really try to disconnect. Um, so I don't, I used to do open source at home. I don't do that anymore. So I, I when I get home, I leave my laptop in the car and I really try to make sure I'm, I'm, you know, present and there so that I can maximize the good life stuff that's away from technology. So really it's trying to disconnect from work stuff as much as possible and really uh, focus on them. Okay. And Jimmy, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career energizer audience? Absolutely. So when I first got started, I had a really bad case of imposter syndrome. But I, I, looking back later, I realized that it was really the, me embracing the imposter syndrome that helped me get to where I am today. And there was one experience in particular. I was in that. It was in the middle of hero worship, like right in the thick of it. That I looked at all the people that wrote all the books that you wrote that you you typically read as a developer, and I got to meet one of those heroes um, at a Java conference, like in two thousand three, two thousand four. So I was going up to meet him and nervously, you know, I want to shake his hand. I was like, oh, I'm so happy to meet you. You know, you're my hero, whatever. And he told me, look, there's no heroes in this industry. We're all just developers. We're all just people trying to figure out what we're doing and trying to get better. So basically get over it and just realize we're all beginners. We're all novices. We're all just trying to figure this all out together. Yeah. So that, that was for me is really is to to embrace that imposter syndrome, to say it's okay that we don't know what we're doing because no one else does either. 
So all we can do is try to become as knowledgeable as we can, but but realize that no one else is going to be the one true expert either. And we just have to, you know, we just have to accept that, get past it. Exactly. Yeah. And Jimmy, can you tell us how we can find out more about you and connect with you? Oh, sure. Um, so if you want to just chat with me, the best way is on Twitter. Um, I have a Twitter. It's uh, just Jay Bogard. Uh, first initial, last name. Um, I do have a website, of course, uh, jimmybogard.com. And I do have email, but that's just a mess of GitHub issue notifications. So that's probably a bad thing <laughs> to get in contact <laughs> with you. Jimmy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. As always, my thanks go to my guest on today's show. You'll find a show notes page for today's episode on the IT Career Energizer website, which will be itcareerenergizer.com slash e, and then the number of today's episode. I also want to thank you for your continued support. It's always great to hear from listeners, particularly when they have suggestions about potential guests or ways to improve the show. And this was one of the reasons for creating the new IT Career Energizer Community Facebook group. I'm really excited about taking the podcast forward, and I hope that you'll continue to support and listen to the show as it continues to change and evolve. Thanks for listening, and remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.